Chapter Twelve of The Ball and the Cross. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Ball and the Cross by G. K. Chesterton. Chapter Twelve: The Desert Island. Those who happen to hold the view, and Mister Evan McKeon, now alive and comfortable, is among the number, that something supernatural, some eccentric kindness from God or fairy, had guided our adventurers through all their absurd perils might have found his strongest argument, perhaps, in their management or mismanagement of Mr. Wilkinson's yacht. Neither of them had the smallest qualification for managing such a vessel, but MacIan had a practical knowledge of the sea in much smaller and quite different boats, while Turnbull had an abstract knowledge of science and some of its applications to navigation, which was worse. The presence of the god or fairy can only be deduced from the fact that they never definitely ran into anything, either a boat, a rock, a quicksand, or a man of war. Apart from this negative description, their voyage would be difficult to describe. It took at least a fortnight, and MacIan, who was certainly the shrewder sailor of the two, realized that they were sailing west into the Atlantic, and were probably by this time past the Skilly Isles how much farther they stood out into the western sea it was impossible to conjecture. But they felt certain, at least, that they were far enough into that awful gulf between us and America to make it unlikely that they should soon see land again. It was therefore with legitimate excitement that one rainy morning after daybreak they saw that distinct shape of a solitary island standing up against the encircling strip of silver which ran round the skyline and separated the grey and green of the billows from the grey and mauve of the morning clouds. "'What can it be?' cried MacIan, in a dry-throated excitement. "'I didn't know there were any Atlantic islands so far beyond the Skillies. Good Lord, it can't be Madeira yet!' "'I thought you were fond of legends and lies and fables,' said Turnbull grimly. "'Perhaps it's Atlantis.' "'Of course it might be.' answered the other, quite innocently and gravely, but I never thought the story about Atlantis was very solidly established. "'Whatever it is, we are running on to it,' said Turnbull equably, "'and we shall be shipwrecked twice at any rate.' The naked-looking nose of land projecting from the unknown island was, indeed, growing larger and larger, like the trunk of some terrible and advancing elephant." There seemed to be nothing in particular, at least on this side of the island, except shoals of shellfish lying so thick as almost to make it look like one of those toy grottoes that the children make. In one place, however, the coast offered a soft, smooth bay of sand, and even the rudimentary ingenuity of the two amateur mariners managed to run up the little ship with her prow well on shore, and her bowsprit pointing upward, as in a sort of idiotic triumph. They tumbled on shore and began to unload the vessel, setting the stores out in rows upon the sand with something of the solemnity of boys playing at pirates. There were Mr. Wilkinson's cigar boxes, and Mr. Wilkinson's dozen of champagne, and Mr. Wilkinson's tinned salmon, and Mr. Wilkinson's tinned tongue, and Mr. Wilkinson's tinned sardines, and every sort of preserved thing that could be seen at the army and navy stores. Then MacIan stopped with a jar of pickles in his hand and said abruptly, I don't know why we're doing all this. I suppose we ought really to fall to and get it over. Then he added more thoughtfully, Of course, this island seems rather bare, and the survivor... The question is, 
said Turnbull, with cheerful speculation, whether the survivor will be in a proper frame of mind for potted prawns. MacIan looked down at the rows of tins and bottles, and the cloud of doubt still lowered upon his face. "'You will permit me two liberties, my dear sir,' said Turnbull at last. "'The first is to break open this box and light one of Mr. Wilkinson's excellent cigars, which will, I am sure, assist my meditations. The second is to offer a penny for your thoughts, or rather to convulse the already complex finances of this island by betting a penny that I know them.' "'What on earth are you talking about?' asked MacIan listlessly in the manner of an inattentive child. "'I know what you are really thinking, MacIan,' repeated Turnbull, laughing. "'I know what I am thinking, anyhow, and I rather fancy it's the same.' "'What are you thinking?' asked Devon. "'I am thinking, and you are thinking,' said Turnbull, "'that it is damned silly to waste all that champagne.' Something like the spectre of a smile appeared on the unsmiling visage of the gale, and he made at least no movement of dissent. "'We could drink all the wine and smoke all the cigars easily in a week,' said Turnbull, "'and that would be to die feasting like heroes.' "'Yes, and there is something else,' said MacIan, with slight hesitation. "'You see, we are on an almost unknown rock, lost in the Atlantic. The police will never catch us, but then neither may the public ever hear of us, and that was one of the things we wanted.' Then, after a pause, he said, drawing in the sand with his sword-point, "'She may never hear of it at all.' "'Well?' inquired the other, puffing at his cigar. "'Well,' said MacIan, "'we might occupy a day or two in drawing up a thorough and complete statement of what we did, and why we did it, and all about both our points of view. Then we could leave one copy on the island, whatever happens to us, and put another in an empty bottle and send it out to sea,' as they do in the books. "'A good idea,' said Turnbull, "'and now let us finish unpacking.' As MacIan, a tall, almost ghostly figure, paced along the edge of sand that ran round the islet, the purple but cloudy poetry which was his native element was piled up at its thickest upon his soul. The unique island and the endless sea emphasized the thing solely as an epic, there were no ladies or policemen here to give him a hint either of its farce or its tragedy. Perhaps when the morning stars were made, he said to himself, God built this island up from the bottom of the world to be a tower and a theatre for the fight between yea and nay. Then he wandered up to the highest level of the rock, where there was a roof or plateau of level stone. Half an hour afterwards, Turnbull found him clearing away the loose sand from this tableland and making it smooth and even. "'We will fight up here, Turnbull,' said MacIan, "'when the time comes. Until the time comes, this place shall be sacred.' "'I thought of having lunch up there,' said Turnbull, who had a bottle of champagne in his hand. "'No, no, not up here,' said MacIan, and came down from the height quite hastily. Before he descended, however, he fixed the two swords upright, one at each end of the platform, as if they were human sentinels to guard it under the stars. Then they came down and lunched plentifully in a nest of loose rocks. In the same place that night they supped more plentifully still. The smoke of Mr. Wilkinson's cigars went up ceaseless and strong-smelling, like a pagan sacrifice. 
the golden glories of Mr. Wilkinson's champagne, rose to their heads and poured out of them in fancies and philosophies. And occasionally they would look up at the starlight and the rock and see the space guarded by the two cross-hilted swords, which looked like two black crosses at either end of a grave. In this primitive and Homeric truce the week passed by. It consisted almost entirely of eating, drinking, smoking, talking, and occasionally singing. They wrote their records and cast loose their bottle. They never ascended to the ominous plateau. They had never stood there save for that single embarrassed minute when they had had no time to take stock of the seascape or the shape of the land. They did not even explore the island, for MacIan was partly concerned in prayer and Turnbull entirely concerned with tobacco and both these forms of inspiration can be enjoyed by the secluded and even the sedentary. It was on a golden afternoon, the sun sinking over the sea, rayed like the very head of Apollo, when Turnbull tossed off the last half-pint from the emptied Wilkinsonian bottle, hurled the bottle into the sea with objectless energy, and went up to where his sword stood waiting for him on the hill. MacIan was already standing heavily by his, with bent head and eyes reading the ground. He had not even troubled to throw a glance round the island or the horizon. But Turnbull, being of a more active and bird-like type of mind, did throw a glance round the scene, the consequence of which was that he nearly fell off the rock. On three sides of this shelly and sandy islet the sea stretched blue and infinite without a speck of land or sail, the same as Turnbull had first seen it, except that the tide being out it showed a few yards more of slanting sand under the roots of the rocks but on the fourth side the island exhibited a more extraordinary feature in fact it exhibited the extraordinary feature of not being an island at all a long curving neck of sand as smooth and wet as the neck of the sea serpent ran out into the sea and joined their rock to a line of low billowing and glistening sand hills which the sinking sea had just bared to the sun. Whether they were firm sand or quicksand it was difficult to guess, but there was at least no doubt that they lay on the edge of some larger land, for colorless hills appeared faintly behind them, and no sea could be seen beyond. "'Sakes alive!' cried Turnbull with rolling eyes. "'This ain't an island in the Atlantic. We've butted the bally continent of America.' MacIan turned his head, and his face, already pale, grew a shade paler. He was by this time walking in a world of omens and hieroglyphics, and he could not read anything but what was baffling or menacing in this brown gigantic arm of the earth stretched out into the sea to seize him. MacIan, said Turnbull, in his temperate way, whatever our eternal interrupted tete-a-tetes have taught us or not taught us, at least we need not fear the charge of fear. If it is essential to your emotions, I will cheerfully finish the fight here and now, but I must confess that if you kill me here, I shall die with my curiosity highly excited and unsatisfied upon a minor point of geography. I do not want to stop now, said the other in his elephantine simplicity, but we must stop for a moment because it is a sign, perhaps it is a miracle. We must see what is at the end of the road of sand. It may be a bridge built across the gulf by God. So long as you gratify my query, said Turnbull, laughing and letting back his blade into the sheath, I do not care for what reason you choose to stop. 
they clambered down the rocky peninsula and trudged along the sandy isthmus with the plodding resolution of men who seemed almost to have made up their minds to be wanderers on the face of the earth despite turnbull's air of scientific eagerness he was really the less impatient of the two and the highlander went on well ahead of him with passionate strides by the time they had walked for about a half an hour in the ups and downs of those dreary sands the distance between the two had lengthened and macian was only a tall figure silhouetted for an instant upon the crest of some sand dune and then disappearing behind it this rather increased the robinson crusoe feeling in mr turnbull and he looked about almost disconsolately for some sign of life what sort of life he expected it to be if it appeared he did not very clearly know he has since confessed that he thinks that in his subconsciousness he expected an alligator the first sign of life that he did see however was something more extraordinary than the largest alligator it was nothing less than the notorious mr evan mckeon coming bounding back across the sand-heaps breathless without his cap and keeping the sword in his hand only by a habit now quite hardened take care turnbull he cried out from a good distance as he ran i've seen a native a native repeated his companion whose scenery had of late been chiefly of shellfish what the deuce do you mean an oyster no said macian stopping and breathing hard i mean a savage a black man why where did you see him asked the staring editor over there behind that hill said the gasping macian he put up his black head and grinned at me turnbull thrust his hands through his red hair like one who gives up the world as a bad riddle lord love a duck said he can it be jamaica then glancing at his companion with a small frown as of one slightly suspicious he said i say don't think me rude but you're a visionary kind of fellow and then we drank a great deal do you mind waiting here while i go and see for myself shout if you get into trouble said the celt with composure you'll find it as i say turnbull ran off ahead with a rapidity now far greater than his rivals and soon vanished over the disputed sand-hill then five minutes passed and then seven minutes and macian bit his lip and swung his sword and the other did not reappear finally with a gaelic oath evan started forward to the rescue and almost at the same moment the small figure of the missing man appeared on the ridge against the sky even at that distance however there was something odd about his attitude so odd that macian continued to make his way in that direction it looked as if he were wounded or still more as if he were ill he wavered as he came down the slope and seemed flinging himself into peculiar postures but it was only when he came within three feet of macian's face that that observer of mankind fully realized that mr james turnbull was roaring with laughter you are quite right sobbed that wholly demoralized journalist he's black oh there's no doubt the black's all right as far as it goes and then he went off again into convulsions of his humorous ailment whatever is the matter with you asked macian with stern impatience did you see the nigger i saw the nigger gasped turnbull i saw the splendid barbarian chief i saw the emperor of ethiopia oh i saw him all right the nigger's hands and face are a lovely color 
and the nigger, and he was overtaken once more. Well, 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 said MacIan, stamping each monosyllable on the sand. What about the nigger? Well, the truth is, said Turnbull suddenly and startlingly, becoming quite grave and precise, the truth is, the nigger is a Margate nigger, and we are now on the edge of the Isle of Thanet, a few miles from Margate. Then he had a momentary return of his hysteria, and said, I say, old boy, I should like to see a chart of our fortnight's cruise in Wilkinson's yacht. MacIan had no smile in answer, but his eager lips opened as if parched for the truth. You mean to say, he began, Yes, I mean to say, said Turnbull, and I mean to say something funnier still. I have learned everything I wanted to know from the partially black musician over there, who has taken a run in his war-paint to meet a friend in a quiet pub along the coast. The noble savage has told me all about it. The bottle containing our declaration, doctrines, and dying sentiments was washed up on Margate Beach yesterday in the presence of one alderman, two bathing-machine men, three policemen, seven doctors, and a hundred and thirteen London clerks on a holiday, to all of whom, whether directly or indirectly, our composition gave enormous literary pleasure. Buck up, old man, this story of ours is a switchback. I have begun to understand the pulse and the time of it. Now we are up in a cathedral, and then we are down in a theatre, where they only play farces. Come, I am quite reconciled. Let us enjoy the farce. But MacIan said nothing, and an instant afterwards Turnbull himself called out in an entirely changed voice, Oh, this is damnable! This is not to be borne! MacIan followed his eye along the sand-hills. He saw what looked like the momentary and waving figure of the nigger minstrel, and then he saw a heavy running policeman take the turn of the sand-hill with the smooth solemnity of a railway train. End of chapter 12 Recording by Tricia G.